Welcome to Gestational Diabetes Club. I'm your host, Helena, dietitian, nutritionist, vegetable enthusiast, and big fan of strong coffee and dark chocolate. Join me here each week to chat about all things gestational diabetes. We'll cover everything you need to know about your nutrition, lifestyle, and all the messy bits in between so that you can feel empowered to optimize your blood sugar, grow a healthy baby, and create sustainable healthy habits to last a whole lifetime without the stress, overwhelm, guilt, or confusion. Thanks so much for joining me, and I hope you love it here. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Gestational Diabetes Club. Today, we're doing one of my favorite types of episodes, which is a birth story. So I've got the beautiful Angela with us, and she is one of my lovely clients that I was working with throughout last year. Um, I'm going to get Angela to introduce herself, but I'm just very excited because we're going to dive into the whole story of her pregnancy with gestational diabetes and birth of her beautiful first baby. So Angela, please introduce yourself and who's in your family now. And yeah, take it away. Who are you? Hello, my name is Angela. I just had my first baby, little Harry. He's just over 10 weeks old now. Um, Happy, healthy, that's all you can ask. That's so good to hear. And what do you do? Where do you live? I'm in Ascot Vale in Victoria and I I work in finance. Beautiful. All right. Thank you so much for coming on and Thank you so much for offering to share your story with everybody because I think that we all get a lot out of listening to these stories. I think for me, it's like my favorite time of the week when I just get to have a chit chat with somebody about their gorgeous little baby. Uh, And for all of you, I know like I get so many DMs from people who just really appreciate hearing the stories of other people and how they navigated things and all the different ways that gestational diabetes can look in terms of how you go about managing it during your pregnancy and then how that can all um, impact on the birth that you have and just everyone's different experiences are so unique, I think. And the more that you can start to hear about and become more familiar with, I think the easier and less traumatic, hopefully, it is when you're going into birth. I've obviously never had a baby, so keep that in mind. I don't know if this is making things better for you, but I, I I do always think that the more prepared you are going into something, the better you feel about it. So I just love bringing so many different experiences to you. So Angela, I'm very excited to talk to you today. So let's go right back to the beginning. So was your pregnancy planned? Yes, it was, just not as early as it happened. So um, I had my sister's wedding at the end of 2023 in Bali, and I was really hoping to be a few months pregnant. I was seven and a half months pregnant at that wedding. Um, so that was not part of that plan, but very, very grateful. It wasn't a difficult journey for us. Um, but yeah, it was a seven and a half months pregnant in Bali that I wasn't looking forward to. <laughs> yeah, that, that would have been hard. And I was actually working with you during that time. Yes. So I, I know how you handled that and we can get into that, but it's cool that you didn't have any trouble conceiving because I know that a lot of people do um, and that would be just so challenging, but nice to know that, you know, it all happened naturally for you and kind of fell into place, which is nice. Now, yes, very grateful. How, how was finding out that you were pregnant? <laughs> um, I think I spent about $250 on pregnancy tests, but I just, I was, I couldn't believe it. Um, went to the doctor and the doctor actually said that my, it was negative. So that I wasn't pregnant. Um, even though all my pregnancy tests were positive. And then I saw another doctor a few weeks later and it was positive. 
which I found quite interesting because I thought the doctor pregnancy test was a lot more accurate than the -the over-the-counter ones. Um, So, yeah, I'm just excited but very, very overwhelmed at the start. And I had this whole plan about how I was going to tell my partner and my family and I just called my sister straight away and I told her. (laughs) She's like, I thought you had a special way of telling me. And, um, no, I just flat out told her and my husband that day. Oh, that's so funny. Can I ask, what was the special way that you were planning to tell them? Well, my sister was going to be more of a surprise and go to her house and do it in person, not overly panicked on the phone. Um, And my husband, I wanted to put a bun in the oven and then tell him to open the oven and he would have seen it. But again, that didn't go to plan. (laughs) That's so cute. And and so what was it like... um, when you were pregnant, did you experience any of those really rough symptoms during the first trimester in particular? Yeah, the first trimester, definitely. I was I had a lot of nausea, but it didn't start in the morning. So I'd get to work in the morning and then about three o'clock in the afternoon, I felt really, really unwell mm-hmm. for the rest of the day. And that lasted about five weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really, really difficult for me. Everything else, the rest of the pregnancy was smooth sailing. Mm, oh, that's that's nice. I mean, it's they really need to rename it, don't they? From yeah. and maybe they have already. From it's not morning sickness. It seems to be just random sickness for everyone, and just all day sickness for a lot of people. And I think that we often gloss over that when you're just like, it was just the first five weeks, but that's five weeks yes. that you were <laughs> dealing with feeling nauseous every afternoon. And did it make it really tricky at work? Very, because you just. I just blamed food all the time. And I think there was a few people that, especially women who have had babies who just knew nothing, <laughs> but you can't tell people or you yeah. don't tell people that early on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you can, if you want to, yeah. I, I remember talking to my, my own sister as well, actually, when she first got pregnant and she was really sick too in that first trimester and she was like, the people at work were honestly the first people who knew because she was just like constantly Constantly sick. Yeah. Yes. But no one says anything. So, yeah, everyone's very polite. They're just in the back of their mind. And then at that three-month mark, they're like, yes, I knew. We figured it yeah. out. Yeah. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> I know that you know and yeah. you know that I know that. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that's cool. So the rest of the pregnancy, you weren't dealing with any particularly rough symptoms. You were feeling pretty good by the sounds of it. Yeah. Yeah, super energized. So it was re- it was aside from those five weeks, a really, really good pregnancy. Lucky you. Now, did you go through the public or the private system? I went through private. Private. And how was that experience? Really good. So we had our our own obstetrician, which was really nice. Um, And at the, the office that, the doctor's office that we went to, there's five or six obstetricians that work there and you get to meet all of them. So if your obstetrician is away or you don't get her on the day, you actually get to meet the rest of them as well. So it's not a surprise on the day. Mm, so I found that really, great. really great. Yeah. Yeah. So are you are you happy that you did go through that system in hindsight? Because I know there's quite a difference between the public and the private system really. So, um, yeah, looking back, are you glad you made that decision? Would you do it again? Yes, I definitely would, especially because I've got yeah. such a great relationship with the obstetrician as well. So. Um, I would definitely go back private. And I've heard great stories about the public system as well. I just, in my mind, I like the consistency and sort of knowing what's going to happen. And I find that in the private system, you've got that a lot more than in the public system. Yeah, cool. 
Um, and then when were you diagnosed with gestational diabetes and how did all of that come about? So that was in the 26th week or um, around that time we everyone's recommended to do the test um, in Australia. And, yeah, that was it. <laughs> It was it was a bit of a shock, and I was quite upset about it, um, as I think most people are, because your first thing is, what what's going to happen to my baby? Is he going to be okay? Um, so yeah, that was that was the biggest shock for me. Mm, yeah, um, and so you were twenty six weeks when you got that diagnosis. I always like to ask, like who. Who told you that you did have gestational diabetes and what was that actual diagnostic process like? Because I know that for some people it can be a really long wait between actually finding out or like doing the test and then finding out and then getting any support around it. So what did that time frame all look like to you? So mine was literally the day after I'd done the test, I got a phone call and okay. they say, okay. just before you do the test, no news is good news. So I saw the phone number and Mm. Obviously, I put two and two together and the midwife called from the um, obstetrician's office and she started off, she was really nice about it. She started talking about my iron levels, which I knew were already really low. And then I sort of asked her to, I know why she's calling. So she just said it as well. And she was she was really sympathetic and empathetic about the whole thing. So she's obviously done this a few times. Um, she tried to reassure me but obviously when you get that phone call I wasn't at home either I was at a cafe you get that phone call and you just you get so upset mm. yeah you poor thing and that's really nice though to hear that the midwife was actually really reassuring and understanding because I've heard different so that, yeah. that's quite encouraging to hear and so of course yeah you were really upset how long did it take for you to get your head around things a little bit did you get you know, you got that immediate um, phone call almost like the next day, but then was it the same sort of fast process in terms of getting booked in at the hospital or wherever to get some education? Was there any education? Did you have to just kind of go through the next few days or weeks even just trying to figure things out? What was it like? Um, it was only a few days. So I think I must have got the diagnosis on a Friday and then by the next Wednesday I had an appointment with the educator um, and she was also incredible. She just, she goes, I've, I've seen, I see this all the time. It's not your fault trying to reassure me. I think I blamed myself for at least two weeks though. So it was a rough two weeks where it was all my fault. My husband was amazing. He was just trying to reassure me every single day. And I felt like it would have just, it, it, it was like every few hours I was just thinking about it and he could tell that I was thinking about it and getting in over my head about it. Um, so yeah, I got to see the educator really quickly, which I think helped. And then it was just finding information mostly on Instagram actually, which is how I found you. So mm. just scrolling through Instagram, different profiles, what you can and can't eat. And cause in my head it was, you can't have any fruit, you can't have any carbs. You just have to be super, super restrictive. Um, and then just, yeah, finding information on Instagram and because work was so busy at the same time as well, I was really concerned about how I was going to navigate it all. How am I going to figure out what I'm supposed to eat and make sure my baby is happy and healthy while also working and I was studying as well at the time. So it's it was pretty full on. Yeah. Now I'm curious, where did you get into your mind that it was no carbs, no fruit, no this, no that? 
was that something that just occurred to you or was that something that you read is where did you get it something that occurred to me so just I it was in my own head about it again so with diabetes in my head you can't have any sugar you can't have any carbs you can't have anything that's not bland essentially um otherwise it'll cause a spike and again that's based on zero education so I didn't know anything about it (laughs) I'm just always so fascinated about where we get those messages from. Like, is it just a thought that just pops into our mind? Like, what is it? I wish there wasn't so much stigma because obviously that's a really common thought process that happens for a lot of people that you do get that diagnosis and you're just like, oh, gee, okay, well, cutting everything out then, I suppose. And maybe it is exactly what you said that we kind of put that two and two together about diabetes in general, which is incorrect information everybody just so that we can clarify that right now that no you do not need to give up carbs you don't need to give up fruit you don't need to give up bread you don't actually need to give up anything at all when you have gestational diabetes or diabetes in general and yeah it is just really curious how our brains just decide to feed that information to us and we must have got it from somewhere so don't beat yourself up but even in general like don't beat yourself up about that diagnosis if you're in the same place that Angela was like having just been diagnosed and just feeling like oh my god it's all my fault like and how am I going to do this like just easier said than done but try and chill out don't stress too much because it really isn't your fault there's so many risk factors and things that you know some of those risk factors or a lot of them are things that are outside of your control okay so don't blame yourself for this, but also don't jump to conclusions around all the things that you need to cut out because it's actually much more, the the diet to follow is much more liberal than you might think. Um, and so let's get back to you and your story. And so then what was that education session like when you did get booked in that following week? Um, so I thought it was going to be in my head. I thought it was just going to be really strict and in my head, I'd already had that conversation and how it was going to look like. Um, that tends to be what I am as a person. I'm quite an anxious person. So um, that's how I thought it was going to be. I went in and she was so, well, I was already, tw- I was actually 20 minutes late, which made it 10 times worse for me as well. Um, but she was so helpful and so informative and just had so many different resources for me. And then if I had any questions, I got her email address so I could email her or give her a call. And it was it was information overload, so I'm not going to – it goes for over an hour. It was a lot of information to take in. Um, but she gave me a, so many different resources, a sample meal plan of what it looks like and, again, completely different to what I thought it was going to be like, so very reassuring. That's fab. And so that was with a diabetes educator that you said? Yes. Was yep. that a group or just an individual session? Individual, just one-on-one. Wow. Oh, I'm really happy for you that that's um that's seems rare that you got such a detailed education session just one on one for you. I mean, maybe that happens for everybody, but I think that sounds so positive and reassuring for everyone again if you're listening and you're in that weird bit where you've been diagnosed but you haven't seen anybody yet. There's help on the way. Yes. <laughs> and definitely. hopefully it's really good help like that. That's great. Um and so at that point, did you start feeling like it was doable or were you still feeling really stressed about the whole situation? I thought it was more doable, but again, because it was still so early on, I was still blaming myself for it and then sure. a little bit overwhelmed about going out, so eating, going out some meals a lot because I do 
have a lot of social situations where I am out. So that was my biggest concern. How am I going to be able to go out and still enjoy life? Yeah. And did you get to see a dietitian as well as a diabetes educator to help walk you through those sorts of scenarios? I mean, apart from me, I know you saw me um, privately, but were you linked in with anybody through your care system? Uh, no, it was just the educator. Interesting. I wish everyone got access to a dietitian. That breaks my heart a little bit. So it's great that you got all of the... And so for everyone listening as well, like diabetes educators and dietitians, we're quite different. So a diabetes educator will tell you all the things about like, well, hopefully they'll explain what gestational diabetes is. They'll set you up with your glycometer so that you can test your blood sugar levels and they will tell you all about testing and all that sort of stuff. They'll probably give you some brief education about what to eat and that kind of thing. But it's beyond their scope of practice to be able to really get too far into the dietary management of it. And that's where the dietitian, like me, comes in. And I wish everyone got to see both of us, a diabetes educator and a dietitian, because we really work hand in hand. But shame that you didn't. And now I've got I've got so many questions in my mind. So I guess one that I want to get out of the way is like, is there a turning point that you and it's fine if you can't think about this, but is there like sort of a turning point moment that you have that comes to mind in terms of feeling less overwhelmed about this stuff and letting go of that guilt and the blame about even having the diagnosis and just starting to understand that this isn't like a life sentence and it's not going to be that bad? Was there any moment that you can pinpoint or was it just a gradual thing? It was a gradual thing and I don't think I stopped blaming myself until I started seeing you and we had a more structured plan in place for me. Um, Mm. So the blame didn't really stop until that point. There was a turning point where I found you and found different resources where I just decided to stop feeling sorry for myself and get on with it because it is what it is. Um, How it came about was a different story to me. So it was, that was, that blame didn't stop for a very long time, but the get on with life sort of happened at about a week and a half, two weeks after the diagnosis. Good on you for actually just, yeah, getting proactive and getting on with it. And I love that you found me because I absolutely loved working with you and having you as a client. And that makes me so happy to know that you got really supported with that structured plan in place. And um, what made you want to reach out and actually work together instead of just looking at the Instagram pretty graphics and stuff? Life is just, it was too busy for me at that point. And the last thing I wanted to think about was how my day on a plate was going to look like. Um, Mm. And I just needed that extra support. And it was in my head again. Yes, you see pretty pictures on Instagram, but then it's, am I getting the right nutrition? Um, Am I getting the right macro and micronutrients from what I'm eating? So I did have a little bit of background on what different macro and micronutrients are, but what it came to was I didn't know how to structure that in my day. And it was just, yes, you can figure it out on your own, but it's too much when you're already pregnant, you've got that diagnosis, you're working, you're studying. I just felt like adding that on top of everything else was, I wasn't going to cope. Yeah. It's a lot of extra admin, right? It's, It's a lot of extra admin. And, you know, someone, I listened to something and somebody put it really well. I thought, um, that, nutrition is something that you can learn for sure. There's knowledge about it, but it's also a skill. And so for a lot of us, it's a difficult skill because we, it's exactly like you said, you can know all of the stuff. And also I will just not, I'm not trying to discredit you or anything, but it's also like we can 
think we know a lot of the stuff as well a lot of the time, but we don't. If you're not well versed in like the actual science and research of it, then you might have misinformation and but you don't know what you don't know, I suppose. So that's one thing. And then it's a skill to be able to actually then put that knowledge into practice, like you said, in terms of, well, what is the practicality of this? How does this actually look in terms of my day? How the hell do I plan these meals? What do I actually eat to make sure I'm ticking those boxes that I know about in my mind? So yeah, really smart that you did seek help to be able to do that because that's my job. That's what I'm skilled in. And if I came to you, I wouldn't know the first thing about what you do for work, but you know what I mean? Like we've got to, we've got to um, outsource to make life easier in those areas where it is like, okay, well, maybe we know a little bit, but in terms of actually putting something together, it can be really just, just another thing you don't need to have to work out. But then it becomes a skill for you as well over time once you've learned how to, how to do that. And did that, did you find that once you actually did have that plan in place, did it become easier? Yes, it became easier and because you you gave me so many different options, so it made it easier for me. Um, like you said, you can Google a million different things, but every website has their own opinion on what you should be and what you shouldn't be eating. So it's it's just way too overwhelming. So, yeah, you get a little bit more education, but I think I'm still going to be coming back to you for advice if I need it. <laughs> I would absolutely love that. And how did you go in terms of what you said one of the biggest challenges was for you, which was eating out and those social situations? Did that get easier? Yes, definitely. It was a lot of, um, when we spoke, it was a lot of building your own meals versus what is on a menu. So all my friends were super understanding. So it was, let's go to places that I pick. So I'd have a look at the menu and send you the menu as well. And we'd work together to say, yes, these are the better options on a menu Um, and I still went out and I still had desserts sometimes if it was a birthday or a special occasion and it because I was eating well a lot of the time a majority of the time I didn't really have too many spikes which is amazing you did so well you did so well taking on all the information and just yeah exactly as you said working together and that's what I always really want to I suppose as well, foster is that really collaborative approach because it's your life and you've got to love what you're eating at the end of the day because it doesn't have to be a miserable, boring diet where you can only eat at home. You can't go see friends and go to those celebrations. You don't need to be isolated. And I want to get that across to everybody. You can still have a social life with gestational diabetes. You can still eat great food with gestational diabetes. It's it's all good. You just got to know how to handle those situations and it might look slightly different to normal. But at the end of the day, it's also just kind of general healthy eating. Um, and so have you have you continued to use some of the things that you learned whilst you were eating for gestational diabetes today? Has that translated into post-pregnancy nutrition as well? Yes, definitely. I think for me, um, sugar was a big one. I eat when I'm overly stressed or overwhelmed. I just have sugar and just that was my go-to. Um, I still use all of the recipes and everything and I've got my husband cooking them and I've got even my sister mm-hmm. onto some of them um, that I was given and I feel like my day was structured really well. I had regular meal and that was a- another big thing for me. I was eating two big meals a day and not really focusing on eating throughout the day, which 
would definitely cause spikes if you're eating only two meals, not regular regularly throughout the day. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely still keeping all of that in practice. I learned so much and knowing knowing what to eat and how to eat it was a big one for me. Amazing. And you know, my favorite part of what you just said is that the rest of your family is eating these meals too, because that's the other thing to get across to everyone. You don't have to be on your weird like gestational diabetes diet. It's just like kind of regular eating. You might need to make a couple of extra tweaks, but rarely, to be honest. You rarely need to be like restrictive and eating separate things from other people. It's not sort of thing, not a thing you need to worry about doing. And were you taking any medication? Did you need insulin or metformin or anything? No, nothing. So mine was all diet controlled, which is a, a relief, very, a cool. very big relief. Yeah. And no shade to anyone needing medication. Like everyone's so different and it's not about how good your diet is necessarily. Like obviously it makes a big difference when you are paying attention to your diet and your lifestyle, but everyone is different. So keep that in mind, but amazing for you. Um, okay. Before we get onto the birth, do you have some amazing tips that you would give to anybody else who is in that phase of maybe just being diagnosed or trying to figure out what to eat or, you know, what's, what's your best advice? It's not all bland. Um, and seek help as soon as you can. And I highly recommend seeing a nutritionist because doing it on your own is, it's too hard. There you go. You heard it here first. Now, okay, let's talk about let's talk about the birth of beautiful Harry. So, going into things, were you nervous? How were you feeling, first baby? Very nervous. Um, and I'm the first out of my main group of friends to have a baby, so that kind of exacerbated the nerves. Yeah, I bet. And did you know much about what goes on? I mean, everyone knows a little bit about what goes on during childbirth, right? But had you been absorbing any information about it, like listening to podcasts, reading books or, you know, that kind of stuff? Yeah, definitely. I've been very, very prepped for it. And I've always been fascinated by labor and birth. So I've seen a lot more than the regular person would have seen. Good for you. And so did you have a birth plan in your mind going into things? Not a specific birth plan because for once in my life, I said that this is something that's not in my control and I wanted to leave it that way. I didn't want it to be controlled. So, And I felt that having a birth plan was going to overly stress me. So I had a vague idea of what I wanted um, and that was that was it. I didn't do a structured birth plan. That's cool. Um, do you want to share what your vague idea was? Well, my vague idea was that I don't want a C-section um, and that was pretty much it. And because of that, I obviously had to have a C-section, so it didn't work out. Nice that you were open-minded, though, because then maybe that didn't feel like it was too much of a uh, stress. I'm not, well, it's the really, the, probably the wrong word. I'm sure it was very stressful at the time, but not too much of a surprise, maybe. Um, yeah. So did you feel well-informed going into things? Yes, definitely. Um, my obstetrician was amazing, so talked me through all the different things that could happen. So I actually had to be induced, um, which I knew hang on, because hang on, hang on. We're not gonna yes. we're gonna talk we're gonna talk about the whole story. I'm yes. just asking, I just wanna Yeah, I could have asked this maybe in a better way, but I just wanted to make sure that you were feeling like good, informed, you'd thought about things, or well, not even make sure of those of those facts. Just wanted to know whether you were feeling prepared yes, or definitely. not. Definitely. Yeah. I was very prepared. Yeah. Cool. Okay, now tell the story. So start from the start. How did how did it all unfold? 
Um, so I had to be induced because on top of um, GD, I also had high blood pressure. So I was induced at 38 weeks um, and, yeah, went to hospital, walked in, said, I'm here to have a baby. Um, we started the induction process and then broke my waters the next day and then for about 30 hours nothing happened. Oh, gosh. What was that like? Um, honestly, it was just a waiting game. I didn't feel anything, so I didn't even have any contractions or I was told I had a contraction but I couldn't feel anything. I got mild discomfort but that was it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it was just just waiting for something to happen. It was quite disappointing every hour or so when a nurse or midwife would come in and check how I'm going and nothing had really progressed. Yeah. Was that really on your mind? Like were you feeling pretty deflated at that point? Like what were your emotions like? Yeah, very, very deflated. So we would be watching a movie or just waiting for things to happen and then they'd come in, check, nothing had happened. I'd try to walk around, bounce on the little exercise ball, just try to get things moving, but Mm. nothing happened. Oh, that sucks. And so then what? Um, So the obstetrician came in and she said that we're probably going to have to have a C-section, talked me through it, um, and then I just kindly asked for another hour and a half to just see if something would happen. Um, And she said, yes, that's fine. We'll give you an hour and a half. Um, Came back, said we've kind of got to have the C-section because the longer you leave it, the more risk there is of an infection and you definitely don't want that because that's going to have a bigger impact yeah. on you and the baby. Um, just talked me through the whole process and we, yeah, within 20 minutes I was in the operating room. Okay. What were the emotions like then? Probably pretty mixed. Yeah, well, it was my first surgery ever. So that was already daunting and they put a spinal tap in and they numb you from the chest down so well, thank god yeah <laughs> thank god they don't want me. to experience that <laughs> um but my obstetrician was amazing she held my hand through the whole process literally and figuratively um so as they were doing the spinal tap she was just holding my hand and just reassuring me that everything was going to be okay and you'd have a happy healthy baby within 10 minutes and that's what happened yeah Amazing. And so then, um, were there any complications when he came out? What was it like? Did you get, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but did you get that rush of of love that people talk about when he came out? Was he crying? Was he, what was it? Yeah, so they had to um, give him a couple of taps on the back to make him cry because he was mm. quite silent. I think he was a bit of a lazy baby clearly didn't want to come out (laughs) so yeah it was it was honestly the quickest process they do the incision and he's out within five minutes it was really really fast and you could you feel people prodding around um in your stomach but you can't feel anything else and then they lifted him up and it was all goopy and (laughs) not pleasant and then they put him to your chest and um then take him away to the pediatrician to make sure everything's okay with him mm-hmm. um and yeah it was just it was so surreal <laughs> mm-hmm. I bet how long did you get to have him on your chest for it was only a couple of minutes because they did have to check to make sure he was okay and not in any distress mm-hmm. and was he okay yes he was completely fine oh <laughs> uh, good 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 and how were you, I suppose, I don't know, it's a silly question, but how were you feeling? Were you stressed when he got taken away? Was that quick? Did he come back? 
How yeah, were you? No, it was, it like, was really quick. So my husband went with him to um, check to make sure everything was okay. And then the um, anaesthetist sat with me and was explaining what was happening. I was kind of curious. I did want to see what was going on. Um, but it's a bit gory, so they don't really let you. <laughs> Uh, and then, yeah, it was, I, I was not nowhere near as stressed as I thought I would be. It was a really, really calming experience, to be honest. Wow. That's so cool. And did you get to have any, I know some people you might do like, um, music or something like that in the theater or anything like that, or were you just as it was? Um, they had, I could have bought my own playlist in, but mm. I was not prepared in that sense. It was, I was sort of playing music throughout the process throughout the 30 hours um so I didn't bring anything in with me but um mm. the anaesthetist had a couple of playlists and he told me to pick which one I like so it was 90s boy bands um, <laughs> <Good> <laughs> and we just had that playing in the background <laughs> oh, I love that I love that you can just really like see the moment now just yeah. backstreet boys or something yeah lasting I love that uh, and then did you do anything like um delayed cord clamping or anything along those lines did you have any preferences? Um, no, so they didn't do delayed cord, cord clamping or anything because they did have to take him away um, just to make sure everything was okay. But once they checked everything was okay, he had his first injection. They left him on my chest while they put everything back together. Oh, great. And did you have to have your blood sugar checked and did he have his blood sugar checked? Yes. Yeah. So we had my blood sugar checked for a couple of meals after that, so pretty much for the full next day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he had his and his were completely fine the entire time amazing how big was he he was 3.8 kilos beautiful so a healthy little boy yeah perfect blood sugar and was your blood sugar fine yep completely fine amazing and then tell me about did you plan to breastfeed yes I did plan to breastfeed so that was always something that I wanted to do and did you get that chance did he did yeah you tell me the first week no. Um, so it was that it was already going through a wave of emotions and then it just didn't didn't happen. Um, so that was really, really hard. I just didn't have enough milk and he wasn't matching. Oh, bummer. Bummer. Yeah. Were there people at hospital to help with that process at all? And yes. did it help? Yeah, all the midwives were so supportive and the nurses, they just came in and they talked you through it and they were so sympathetic, but yeah, we did have to put him on formula. And something that they don't really tell you is you have to sign a consent form to give your baby formula, which I wasn't mm-hmm. aware of. So when you're already going through all the emotions, to have to sign a consent form is it, it made me feel terrible. It must. It really must make you feel a little bit more of that almost guilt and shame around it, which I don't want anyone to feel. Um, I think I say it on every time I do one of these interviews, fed is best, not necessarily breast is best, fed is best. You know, if you want to be able to breastfeed, like I think it's fantastic. We know how many benefits there are associated with breastfeeding, not to make you feel worse about it, but yeah, that would just be another stab in the chest, I imagine, when you've got a piece of paper also being like, well, you're a disappointing mum if you have to, you know, sign this over. So yeah, oh my gosh. And then... um. Did you, well, I don't really know how it works. Like, did you get to breastfeed at any other time? Like, did things change or are you still on formula? What's the go? I tried every single day. So even when it was formula feeding, I I was so persistent and so determined that it was going to happen. Um, and he lost half a kilo, which is why 
Mm. We did have to give him formula because there was there was no other option that he needs to eat. <laughs> um, oh, and that was God. obviously your main priority. Um, so every day, every few hours, actually, I was trying to breastfeed as well. And he just wasn't getting any if enough, really. Um, and then a pump to increase, um, to kind of stimulate your milk production. And it's just exhausting. It's really, really tiring when you try to breastfeed, mm. then you're pumping and then you have to give him formula anyway. Mm. Um, so it was, yeah, it's quite, it's very exhausting. I bet. And how long were you in hospital for during that process? A week. We were a in week hospital for a week. Ages. Yeah. Did you just want to get home or were you happy there? A um, bit of both, actually. I did want to get home and be in my own bed and have my, have a shower, which was not in a tiny little shower. Um, and the constant, and I know they were super helpful and they meant really well, but midwives and nurses and doctors come into your room every couple of hours and it's so tiring and you just want to sit there by yourself in your little bubble with your husband and your baby um, and then someone comes in to check on how everything's going and I, like I said I, I know they mean well but sometimes you just want your own your own space. No, hospitals are not the most restful environment. No. I've worked there for many years. <laughs> they are not peaceful it's almost like being at, I don't know, grilled or something when they're just like, how's your meal? How's yeah. this? How, how is everything? <laughs> yeah, constant, really constant. But then you did get to go home. And how was the recovery on your end? I get, it's one of those things where in my head it was going to be 10 times worse than it was. I was out of bed and able to stand on my own two feet within 12 hours after the surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so once everything, once you can start to feel things, they encourage you to get out of bed, go for a just move your legs a little bit and then every day after that I was walking around the ward and then by day five or six I actually got outside get a bit of fresh air get out of the hospital um so we had my in-laws come and they just spent some time with Harry well my husband and I just went for a walk around the hospital can't go very far because you you get tired very easily um got a baby yeah that too (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so yeah was able to go for walks within a couple of days. Oh, that's so good to hear. So good on you for getting up and about because that's the best thing you can do for your recovery yes. really is to get up, get mobile, get everything working again. So that's cool. Um, and so then since getting home, how's everything been going? Good. So the first month is really, really tough. The first month to six weeks is really tough. Again, because he had lost all that weight, I had to wake up every two hours to feed him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's exhausting. When you're not used to it, and I'm, I love my sleep as a lot of people do. Um, so having to wake up every two hours and the feeds took forever. So you're up every two hours. You're up for about an hour and a half, mm-hmm. trying to feed, trying to burp, trying to get him back to sleep. So it was really rough. Um, and my, I, w- I just, I was so in over my head, um, and it was just very overwhelming for me. Oh, I cannot even imagine. This sleep impacts everything, doesn't it? When you're sleep yes. deprived, it's very, very hard to function. And oh, I just yeah. Was your partner at home as well, or was he back yes. at work? Yeah, Absolutely. he was. So we were on shifts, but it's the anxiety of you hear the baby crying and stress. So it doesn't matter who's up. Both of us were up at the same time. We couldn't really yeah. do shifts at that point because both of us felt the exact same. Oh, that's so tricky. And has he regained his weight and? Um, bounced back yeah. he most certainly has he's putting on a lot of weight now and he's exclusively breastfeeding which 
has been a relief for me. Like you said, Fed is best. Um, but it's just, it's such a nice experience and such a great experience to be able to breastfeed. At least it was for me. Mm, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'm really happy to hear that he's doing well. And how are you doing now? Are you feeling like you've got a bit more sleep under your belt? Yes, definitely. I don't know what happened, but after six and a half weeks, he just one night, he slept for six hours straight and I woke up and I was a little bit stressed. I was like, he he didn't wake up for a feed. I should have set an alarm. Um, and then we actually had an appointment with the maternal child health nurse two days after. And she said, he's putting on more than enough weight. He's growing perfectly fine. If he's asleep <laughs> at night, leave him asleep at night. I just love hearing that. That's so cool. Like yeah. good on him. Happy little boy and yeah. good on you. And so you're feeling much better brighter hopefully within yourself now that you are actually getting some rest and has your con- has your recovery just continued are you feeling like almost back to your normal self yeah I'm, I feel back to normal already so I don't know what happened but after about five not even five weeks I reckon four weeks I went for a walk and it didn't hurt anymore Woohoo! how cool yeah. is that now two questions so first question have you done your six week check your glucose tolerance test I have yes How'd you go? Good. I passed. Okay. <laughs> yes. How cool is that? That's amazing. So we've passed. You're good. No need to check. And what are you eating at the moment? What's your diet looking like? Um, Pretty much the same with all the recipes and everything that you've given me because I think we had such a good routine and I was doing it for over 10 weeks or so. Um, so it's stuck. Yeah. I think they say it takes six weeks to build a routine or something like that. I absolutely love that. And you know what? It's testament to the fact that your gestational diabetes diet doesn't have to be a restrictive, like specific thing where you're eating. What am I trying to say? It doesn't need to be a diet where it's very blood sugar focused. And I mean, obviously it does need to be blood sugar focused, but what I guess I'm trying to say, it doesn't need to be restrictive, doesn't need to be a really special diet. It's appropriate for pretty much any stage of your life. And it makes me so happy that it is still serving you well to have to be able to go back to that structure and go back to those meals because they're normal family meals and be able to enjoy what you're eating and feel good in doing that. And have I got that right? You 100% have that right. Like yeah. the meals were so amazing, so delicious. So um, yeah, there's a few staples that we have to have every single week. The salmon and halloumi salad has to happen every week. Otherwise my husband gets a bit what, what happened to the salad? Where is it? <laughs> I love that. Note to everyone, you can eat halloumi and still be healthy. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you absolutely can. Um, oh, that's really nice to hear. And so are you feeling confident in your nutrition in terms of helping you recover and meet all of those postpartum nutrients and your goals going forward? Yes, definitely. And you, um, out, uh, after our six weeks, you sort of gave me a little handout that with so, explained the structure of how I sh- what the we're gonna have to redo this <laughs> no that's okay um, I, I, I can jump in for you what I gave to you was just a, a detailed plan it was just individualized to you to structure things out a little bit for you so that you knew what to prioritize in this postpartum period because I never want to drop people and run after our after however long we do like six weeks together working through your gestational diabetes journey and providing a diet and things like that for your experience, then I always like to leave my clients with something 
so they can achieve their goals going forward, whatever that situation looks like. So for you knowing that it was you want to go into like that postpartum phase, I made sure that I gave you some information tailored to you of how to start incorporating um, key nutrients and things like that and, you know, what you needed to aim for and what you needed to add to your meals or whatever or how it needed to look for you so that you could recover at your best. I hope I summarized that well, but I think that's what you're you're trying to explain that I provided to you. So has that been helpful? Very, very helpful. And the longer you practice it, the easier it gets. I think we're probably almost at 20 weeks of me following this kind of lifestyle really um and we're at that and it's starting to become more intuitive so I know what to pick when I go to a restaurant or if I want to have a day at a restaurant where I have something that's not strict on the plan I just it's fine to have it 100% of course it is of course it is I love hearing that I love hearing that so much and I know that when I did meet you your relationship with food could also be a little bit hit and miss and it felt a little bit rocky in your mind so how's that feeling now really good really really good um that's cool yeah there's no there's no stigma around it in my head anymore no black and white thinking we don't ever want to hear like that's good that's bad that's naughty that's whatever and I think um I will I hope what you took away from working together was that it's fine to have some of those beautiful soul foods in your diet and to have them fairly regularly. I remember giving you as like an actual homework task to eat some little brownies throughout the week. Yes. Because <laughs> we just really needed to repair that relationship and stop demonizing things because, yeah, it's another message I just want to get out to everybody that all foods can fit into a healthy diet. Halloumi, brownies, special treats when you're going out for meals, like it's all good. It doesn't make you an unhealthy person if you've had, I don't know, a piece of chocolate and it doesn't make you a healthy person if you eat a salad. We all know that, but it's different to live that. And um, I'm really happy that that structure is still working really, really well for you. And so I suppose to wrap things up, do you have any words of wisdom about gestational diabetes or birth or pregnancy or, you know, any of motherhood in general that you want to share with people that you really want them to know? Um, seek help is the biggest bit of advice I have. You're not on your own. Yeah. Seek help from family, friends, go external, especially if you've got a GD diagnosis. Don't do it on your own. It's it's very overwhelming if you do it without the support. That's beautiful advice. I couldn't agree more. Outsource. Yes. Outsource <laughs> things. <laughs> you know, you outsource your car service and you outsource your, I don't know, I can't think of anything else. We outsource lots of things, but your health, that needs to be equal, if not more, of a priority. I love that. Great advice. And thank you so much for coming on today. I've really loved hearing about your story. I think everyone will get something out of this. So thank you so much. That is it for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. And if you haven't already, please make sure that you subscribe or hit the plus button so that you can get new episodes delivered straight to your podcast app every week. And if you did find this episode useful, I would appreciate it so, so much if you could leave a rating and review or share it with a friend. It helps me reach more people so that I can help them take some of the stress out of gestational diabetes too. And if you want to keep learning about all things gestational diabetes, head to my website to find all the ways that I can support you. Thanks so much. Chat soon. Bye.